Hey, y'all. My name's Adam Brunson, one of the uh, pastors on staff here. It's really great to see y'all all this morning. Hope you had a good uh, Memorial Day weekend last weekend, despite all the rain. Did anybody get rained out of Memorial Day plans? Yes. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry about that. Awesome. Well, it is good to see you all today. So today we are uh, continuing in a series that we've been doing uh, that Jake started two weeks ago, a series on prayer that we're just calling Prayer, a Family Conversation. And uh, that first week, Jake kind of introduced not only a series, but kind of a goal for us as a church uh, going along with it that kind of help us grow in this area to give some, some focus uh, to this part of our life. And so it, this goal kind of wording, we're saying like this here, you'll see on the side, pray to your father, uh, pray as a child. And you know, kind of that theming is, is uh, helping us kind of get some handles on the idea of prayer and a little bit of understanding motivation when it comes uh, to this area. Last week, uh, Justin talked about, kind of focused on this aspect, on the on the character of God, who is our Father? What's He like? And what does, that, what does that have to do with our prayer? One of His big ideas was talking about God's power and His love as insight and motivation for us to go to Him in prayer. Today we're going to be kind of focusing a little bit more on this side. You, you might say last week Justin talked about the nature of God, and today we're going to talk a little bit about the nature of us, the nature of people. What are, what are we like and what does this have to do uh, with us regarding prayer. Let me just give you kind of a little roadmap of where I'd like to go this morning. We'll talk about first uh, that we're children. We're going to talk about the faith of children, uh, the helplessness of children, and the freedom of being children. So that we're children, the faith of children, the helplessness of children, and the freedom of, of being children. Um, if y'all don't mind, let me just say a quick prayer and we'll dive in here together. Father, thank you for uh, this morning, uh, that your grace is new to us uh, every morning. Uh, Lord, I just, uh, right now, just ask that you uh, would be here with us. Um, Lord, may your word uh, be instructive to us, help us to learn more uh, about you, about ourselves, and uh, this important area of prayer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Uh, that we are children. So if you think for a moment, um, just about, about kids in general. Whether you have them or not, uh, you see them a lot, you were one, uh, kids are constantly in need of their parents, are they not? Especially, especially younger kids. I mean, you could, you could, we could probably sit here and just try to talk through all the ways that kids are uniquely dependent on their parents. It's it, early on, right? It's nearly in every way, save the few involuntary functions of the body, right? Um, but like you're completely caring for them. Um, it sometimes it shows up in funny ways, right? Like I think of um, my middle daughter, Corey. Um, asked if it was okay to share this. She said it was. But Corey has, uh, I suppose this could be true of some adults, but I would say uniquely sharp sleepwalking problem. And uh, often, like she'll, we'll, we'll, in the morning, we'll find her in different rooms than she actually went to bed in. Like that's a pretty often occurrence in our house or you know, we'll, we'll be hanging out, Ken and I'll be hanging out together, ten, somewhere between 10, 11 o'clock hours. She's usually pretty sharp around like 1040. She's, we can kind of tell time by her, like we'll hear walking through the house and be like, oh, there's Corey again. And it's often have to hop up and like, she's, she really is sleepwalking, like kind of like guide her actually back to her bed. And she'll, if I do that, then she'll actually wake up in the same room and bed that she uh, woke up in. Um, 
But ki- kids are like that, right? Like they're completely dependent on their parents. And there's a part of our nature that really can be described and compared that way when it comes to how we relate to God. That we are, are like uh, children in this way in that we were made to need God. It's part of our nature. We were made to need God. Uh, Thomas Merton said it this way. He was uh, in the 1600s. I thought it was very well said. He said, we are living in completeness. We are a gap and emptiness that calls for fulfillment. Uh, and Jesus kind of had the same idea in John 15, um, in John 15, 5, where he says this. I think I've got it up there. Real short, and part of a great passage, but where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We're made, part of our design is to need God. But it even goes a step further. This isn't a whole message on this, but when you look at the, the idea developed in the Bible about brokenness, uh, about sin, it even takes it a step further, which the idea is this, because of our brokenness and sinfulness, it means that we're not neutral or static when it comes to like, how we relate to God. In fact, it says like we're prone to wander, right? Prone to, to veer away from him, prone to love things more than we would love him, uh, prone to uh, depend on things other than him, you know, off, often ourselves, right? We're, we're not um, static. We, we, we tend to lean away from our very design, uh, which is to need God. This a key idea here, like, is a really important one, and, and I don't really want... I don't really want to try to convince you of this need. I feel like it's a need that either like we become in tune with and we live in or, 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 we, or we miss it at the moment, right? But the, this idea is that, that we uh, are a child. We're made to need God. We're made to love God. But accepting it changes everything in our life. We're children. The next idea is we kind of zoom in a little bit and look at what is it about children that... We need to, to tune into, specifically about the faith of a child. Now, some of you, if you've been around the Bible much or you've grown up in church, some of these verses, actually, you may kind of already have them ringing in your head. Like Jesus actually talked about this several times in the Gospels. One of them is Mark 10, uh, where he says this. He says that some of his disciples, the closest people with him, were bringing children to him, that he might um, touch them, lay hands on them. He's like praying, blessing uh, on them. And the disciples rebuked the people that were bringing the kids to him. Um, but when Jesus saw it, He was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belong uh, the kingdom of God. There was a part in which Jesus was constantly looking at something. There's something about kids and their type of faith that the rest of us need as well. People uh, were constantly calling, Jesus was constantly calling his disciples to have faith like children. And if you'll not put yourself in that scenario or our culture in that scenario. This was a little bit of a countercultural statement. One of the things, the way you can see it, like their, their culture wouldn't have had the same um, maybe idolization of children or youth that, that our culture can have right now. All that to say, like this wouldn't have been quite as warmly received as like when you or I would say it. You know, the elderly... Um, patriarchs, things like that, were, were really revered in society. So for Jesus to make a comment like this was really a little bit swimming upstream. Like, what, what, was, what was his point? He was trying to make this, he's trying to say the same thing here. He's putting his finger on our need of him, right? 
Um, I want to look at three things that uh, we see, in, particularly in the New Testament, about this, about the faith of children. And I'll say them this way. Children believe simply, children ask shamelessly, and children talk erratically. That's the closest word I could come to to get into the idea here. So let's just talk through them quickly here, because there's some, there's some really helpful ideas here about prayer that Jesus is communicating. Children believe, believe simply. You know, uh, kids are really are born with this innate confidence in their parents, in their, lo- their love and their goodness, right? It's, it's this idea that really, at the end of the day, I think my parents can and will provide what I ask them for, right? Like, they, they love me. And they're able. Like, that's, that's the ingrained thought. And it's that kind of implicit faith that pushes kids to keep asking. And sometimes asking until we, it's like, you know, nails on a chalkboard. Like, oh my goodness, they are just like going to wear me out with, with this asking, right? But it's, the, it's, this, it's that kind of faith that's put into them about parents, uh, which, of course, they eventually lose, right? They figure out we're lacking in both the love and the power departments, but they're born with this, with this sense that my parents are that way. In uh, Luke 18, this is actually a parable that Justin talked about a little bit last week, but I, I just love it so much. I feel like this is what Jesus is trying to tell us here. It's, it's kind of a childlike adult, if you will. And these, you know, these parables, these made-up stories Jesus told with a teaching point, right? He was, he was a teacher. And so he says this in Luke 18. Uh, he says... Um, it's a, well, it's a story about, um, like I said, a childlike adult, a widow who's persistently asking for justice from kind of like this crusty, old, heartless judge. And he says, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she does not beat me down with her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what this unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them and speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Maybe somewhat like that widow. You know, children have this faith that that pushes them to this persistent uh, asking that Jesus is pushing us back towards to, to believe simply like children. Children believe simply. They also ask shamelessly. Uh, what do kids ask for? Uh, what don't kids ask for? They ask for anything and everything, right? The first uh, time kids learn about Disney World, their next question is, can we go there, right? It's, there's nothing off limits. How, you know, how often do they ask? All the time, over and over, right? Um, how do they ask? It's this idea. They ask shamelessly. They just say what's on their mind. There's no awareness of what's appropriate or inappropriate in the asking, uh, there's an awareness that they, they've got a father or mother who's capable and loving, so they just ask. Why, why, why would I hold back? The thought never crosses their mind, right, at a, at a certain age of life. Uh, there's, there's no masks. Uh, kids don't hide their emotions or try to dry their eyes before they come. Uh, why would they? There's the, you know, in, until we shake this out of them with our brokenness, there's this implicit thought that my parents are good and they're able, so I'll just come, Right? And, and Jesus is pushing us uh, back towards a bit of a shamelessness uh, in, in our relationship to him. He urges toward this posture. He, he says this, um, ask and it will be given to you. Which one of you, if a son asks him for a bread, will give him a stone? 
or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then are evil, who, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father who is in heaven give good, give good things to those who ask him? Children ask shamelessly. For those who are in Christ, you can do the same thing. Children uh, talk erratically. Um, let me start here. If you feel like your prayers sometimes are like all over the place, like they meander, you know, like the craziest rivers, right? Um, from my experience, and, and may, I don't know if yours is this way at all, it, it can be, and I would even say most likely that your prayers can you know, at least begin that way because when you start like, you know, opening up to God in this conversation, you're wandering and you're stuttering because you begin to pray. You're remembering, you're remembering all the weighty stuff in your life that you, you can't handle at the moment, right? Or you're, you're remembering, you're suddenly seeing all the places, you may be suddenly seeing all the places that you need God, and the conversation is helping you remember all that. You know, in my experience, this is like, I feel like you have to start praying like you have ADD. <laughs> you, just, you just, it's scattered and it's all over the place. And that's the reason why you, if God's this way, and if he wants us to approach him as children, that you, to come erratically, to be all over the map about the heavy stuff in your life, like, oh God, help me in this thing. Oh, oh in this thing. And would you help them leave my life? Or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they can be all over the place. They might not even be like the greatest things to pray for. And yet that's what kids are like, and there's a part of which, like Jesus is pushing us back uh, to begin to have a faith like that, which really is one that is completely trusting in him. And when you, do, when, you, when you can start there, my experience has been, you can more methodically pray over the things that you, that you really feel burdened for, that you're really trying to see progress in in your own life, areas of growth, things you're praying for for people that you love, maybe a God dream that he's given you. These things that you're really regularly wanting to, wanting to talk to God about, but you've, you, you start so erratic to get the weighty stuff, you cast your cares on him, and you're 100 pounds lighter, and, and you pray differently. That's, that's been my experience. Um, because, of, because of our design to need God, this can and should be an ongoing dialogue with God. Prayer. Not... I don't know what you think of when you think of prayer. Not just like maybe a, a section of time. It's an ongoing dialogue that, you're, that you can have with God. I mean, children hardly ever stop talking to their parents, right? I mean, if, you're, if you're a parent, you've, you experience, this is your life. You know that your kids hardly uh, ever stop talking to you. Uh, why would they? Our life, too, your life, too, can be an ongoing dialogue with God. But this, like, this shouldn't be a burden to you. Like, I'm not like a, a must-should. Um, I'm drawing a blank now. Richard Foster said this really well. I read this in one of his books recently, talking about prayer. And it said, our, our life of prayer, ongoing dialogue of prayer, is no more a burden to us than wings are to a bird. When you understand who you're talking to and you understand the nature of your own design, uh, prayer's not a burden, it's freeing. So you and I are children. Uh, we can have faith like children. But now let's look at the helplessness of children. 
When, when it uh, comes to prayer, some of you I know have had this thought. Strong Christians pray a lot. If I were stronger, if I were more disciplined, if I were like a little more together, like I would pray more. I would pray a lot, right? Like I, I've had that thought a lot. And it is true that strong Christians do pray a lot. But we can misread what's got them there. We read into their life and assume a level of super discipline, a level of like a spiritual plateau that they've reached that just feels always beyond the horizon for us, a level of mature, you know, togetherness that we can't seem to get hold of. But mature Christians don't primarily pray because they're, they're more disciplined. They primarily pray because they've gotten more in tune with how much they need God. They've become greater aware of their design to need God. Anxiety surfaces in our life when we lose sight of this, when we lose sight of our helplessness and lose sight of God's ability. Uh, Children don't think about tomorrow ever, sometimes to a a bad degree, right? Like, please give what you're doing right now a moment's thought of what this is going to mean you know, if you follow through and swing at your sister or whatever, right? Like, but they don't. They don't think about tomorrow. We become anxious when we take on tomorrow's worries, uh, and we lose sight of how helpless we are. Um, Isaiah 46 says this. I just, I love this. This is um, God talking through Isaiah and um, the prophet. He says, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, uh, from ancient of times, things not yet done. You and I cannot say that. Right? We, we, we can't make statements like that. In fact, this is what Jesus tells us to do with the same kind of thoughts. He says uh, in Matthew, he says, Don't be anxious about anything. What shall we eat? What are we going to drink? What will we wear? How do we provide for ourselves? Uh, for the Gentiles, seek after all these things. The, the, the non-believers run after these things, trying to secure them for themselves. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. There's, there's a helplessness that children hardly ever state, but it's just implicit in their life. They, they know it, and they're okay with it, and they live in it, and they but they know who their parents are, or they know what their thoughts, they're loving and they're capable, and so it doesn't matter that I'm helpless because I just run to them all the time with everything. And there's a helplessness that Jesus is trying to push us back towards. We're children. We need to have the faith of children, the helplessness of children, and last year, the, the freedom of being children. Now, You might feel like this is, is short-selling life right now. If you've been in the middle of something hard, everyone's been in the middle of something hard. When you've been in the middle of something hard, maybe complexities of work, maybe relationships that cannot seem to be on a healthy track, or maybe some kind of suffering, right? Like, well, just think for a moment, like, when, you, when you've had one of those, like, oh, man, this is all, this is bad, have you ever had this deal happen? Like, I can remember a few times where, like, you feel like you're in the heat of it, and you've paused long enough, and I don't know, maybe 
you've been on a walk or something, and you look up and you just you see a kid, like at the park or like walking the dog or like on the swing, you know, just like leaning back, hair kind of you know doing the you know blowing back, and you can just tell like not a care in the world. And you and like maybe you don't say it quite this way, but the thought is like, man, if only I could go back to that. I would trade that for this in a second. You might have even like been so, like maybe you get, you know, if your personality is, is such or you've been like buried enough in that moment, you might have even like said to a kid, like, enjoy it while you can. <laughs> that's, that's such great parenting words, right? Or just, it's really fun to say to other people's kids. Just go around ruining other people's kids' days. But like, is it, isn't this the idea here? That um, doesn't life teach us um, to let go of like childish naivety? Doesn't it teach us that, that it doesn't quite work that way, right? Doesn't it make us grow up and embrace reality? Well, that depends on what you mean by reality. I mean, this is what I mean. For children, it doesn't take any convincing for them to believe that there's a God. In fact, most kids just believe it implicitly. There's maybe like a philosophical question there that's a good conversation at another moment, right? But it's, it's as we age into adolescence, for some that's enough, teen years, college, beyond, that we wise up, right? That we learn Life isn't as carefree or easy or, or, or whatnot, right? Um, in short, it's like we begin to believe that the simple faith, that maybe the simple God of our childhood, doesn't match the complex realities of the rest of our life. And let me just pause and interject here for a minute, because I think it's at this turn... And maybe if you're here and you're, and you're kind of like not sure of Christianity or Jesus Christ, let me just say a quick word to you here, remembering my, my part of life there. That I think it's at this turn that at least a true understanding of Christianity really has a unique and beautiful answer in this moment. I think it, it differs from other belief systems. You'll see some religious belief systems to have a God that's all-powerful. But he's also unapproachable. There's not such a thing as love or relationship to be had. He may be in control of the world, uh, but he's distant from me. There's, there's other belief systems that would proclaim a God uh, whose holy characteristic is love. But ultimately, uh, he's weak and unable to stop the difficult or complex things in the world from, from overtaking my life. Or... They create a view of reality where you must learn to detach yourself from the physical world to really find freedom, right? Probably familiar with, with some of each of those. But Jesus proclaimed that God entered in to the pain, entered into the complexity of life. The word in the New Testament, uh, or in the Old Testament, talking about Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. It's, it's the Almighty God who entered in to the, the, the hardship, who entered into the difficulty, the complexity, the stuff that, 
that weighs us, that, that grabs us by the throat and won't let us go. He's God with us. But he's not just with us. He's the one who went through the difficulty, who bore the cost of our sin and our brokenness so that he could bring us through it with him. Now, not all of that happens right in this moment. But let's say it this way. Jesus isn't naive to, to suffering. He's not naive to the complexities of life. He's not naive to the responsibilities that now sit on our shoulders. Uh, God isn't calling us to be naive or close our eyes to pain or complexity or, or responsibility. But let me ask you this. If, if you're a believer in here, are you not drawn to him? Or were you not drawn to him originally because of his promise to one day make everything right? To one day take the, the pain and the brokenness and make it all count. It, the, the world to come is a, like a, a critical part of the gospel to, to be believed. And for many of you, it was one of the things that really drew you and, and made you want to, to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ because of what he promised. You see, a childlike faith is not denying the complexity of, an, of the adult world. In a way, it's building up a complex and true understanding of the character of God. Too simple of a faith says, if God's in control, my life will always be easy and go the way I want it to. A complex and true understanding of who God is and of faith, you see in the Bible, is a God who enters into our chaos and the weightiness, and he wants to reign in our life right there. God is calling us to trust him in the complexity, in the brokenness, for us really to, in a way, to, to stop pretending that we're him or to stop grabbing the reins as if we were him. Stop being in control. Paul Miller says this. This is a book Jake recommended to you the first week. This was so good. He says, instead of hunting for the perfect spiritual state to lift you above the chaos, pray in the chaos. As your heart and circumstances generate problems, keep generating prayer. You will find that the chaos lessens. Uh, when you stop trying to control your life and instead allow your anxieties and problems to bring you to God in prayer, you shift from worry to watching. You watch God weave his patterns in his story. Uh, I'm sorry, weave his patterns in the story of your life. Uh, instead of trying to be out front designing your life, you realize you are inside God's drama. As you wait, you begin to see him work. Your life begins to sparkle with wonder. You're learning to trust again. Man, I just love that. It puts its finger on our need and where God enters into our world. There's, there's freedom in being right there. Your childlike faith can exist in the world you live in because God came into the world that you live in. God gave us a pattern to live in. It's the pattern that is the gospel. I kind of like. I want to finish this point on this verse, and, and it's a verse that I feel like has been really helpful to me in, well, in, in a lot of areas. But it's it is this pattern. It's Colossians two six, and it says this: it "says Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him." Think about it for a moment. If, if you're if you're a person here, whose faith is in Jesus Christ, think back to the beginning of your story. 
How did you come to receive Jesus? How did you come to put your faith in him, right? Like, if we could go around the room and share stories, they would probably be all unique and all similar. <laughs> and all similar being there was, there was something or some things that God used to help us really get in tune with our, our childlike nature, our, our need, right? Something that God used to help us see how far we, f- we sh- fall short of him, right, and his perfect standard, how unable we are even to, to run our own lives, uh, to, to have wisdom to see into the future, like all of these things, right? Like there's something that God used to, to help you see your need and to see how incredible he is and how he wants to enter in and meet those. See his grace, right? His forgiveness, his presence. That need, that sense of need and awareness is the same way you live every day as a Christian. As you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. That's the pattern of the gospel that God's given us, and it can drive us to prayer, and it can give us freedom. That's pretty awesome. Well, this morning, um, I love the weeks we get to take communion. Today is one of those. Uh, you, look at, you look at Jesus in the Gospels, and he, he gave communion or the Lord's Supper, different words, different traditions, right? Um, as some people call it a memorial meal, uh, a, a meal that helps us remember. And I love that we get to do it on, on a morning like this where um, there's truth that we don't need to just have in our head, but we need to have uh, grabbing us and, and not letting go of us. Um, this was a meal that Jesus established so that this church, even for ages to come, uh, could tangibly connect to the beauty of the gospel, uh, that we could drive it deeper into our hearts individually, but also could drive it into our community, that this would shape the kind of people that we are uh, as a, a local expression of the church. Um, so that's what we get to do this morning. In fact, I want to go ahead and ask servers uh, who are here this morning to, y'all can go ahead and grab uh, the communion elements. We'll begin to, y'all can actually just go ahead and begin um, to pass those. As they're bringing those up, just, just a kind of quick word here. This may be helpful for you. At Midtown, we, we practice what we would call open communion. We'd just say it this way. You don't need to be a partner um, at Midtown to partake in communion. It's, this is open for anyone uh, whose faith is in, is in Jesus Christ and what he did for them on the cross. If you're not sure, you're still investigating Jesus, we, we, we want you to feel um, no pressure uh, or shame in, in watching and taking it all in. On the night um, before Jesus uh, was betrayed and would go to the cross, you remember he had uh, shared a meal with his disciples. In this meal, um, turn in here. He, uh, he took bread and uh, he broke it. He says this, and um, Paul remembers this in, in Corinthians. He says to his disciples, uh, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as he's sharing this bread, he's sharing this meal with them at, the, at uh, this supper. It, it, and as we remember it today, it helps us realize that God entered into our brokenness, he entered into our complex world, uh, that he didn't stay far off. Um, 
God became weak and he became vulnerable with a purpose. He did that so that, so that we could be strong in him, so that we could make it through the, the complexities, the chaos of life with him. He won our forgiveness, but he won so much more. He won us his promise that he can follow through. Never will I leave you, uh, never will I forsake you. Let me pray. Thank God for the bread. Father, thank you (laughs) that at the right time, while we were still powerless, uh, Christ entered our world, um, born as a baby. God went through a childhood, went through life, grew to adulthood, and yet all without sin. God, that you might bear ours, that you might know the world we're in um, so that we uh, could know you and enter into a one day your world. We thank you for, um, for that. It's because of the great cost you paid that we love you and give thanks for this bread in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, take and eat the bread. In the same way, uh, that night, um, Jesus took the cup. He said this uh, to his disciples. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, uh, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, When you think over the sacrifice of Christ, when you take the, the truth of this gospel into the deeper parts of your life, You become free to live as a child once more. Uh, We can learn to trust our perfect Father, which is a way of proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. Your friends, uh, your neighbors, your co-workers. um, They'll see growing stability in your life as you're able to trust your Father in that way. You won't be able to hide it in a way. As long as you um, don't do the foolish thing I can do and take pride in those moments. But instead you're pointing your friends towards the source of your hope. The hope that we're remembering right now. You won't be able to hide. uh, You won't be able to do anything but proclaim his death until he comes. You can't hide the freedom that comes from being a child when you've wrapped your arms around the robust nature of God's love and his power. That picture of his love and power in mind, take, take and drink. And pray with me again.